0: Hey, it's Pastor Sam. I want to take a minute to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. I pray that it blesses you and ultimately it'll point you to Jesus. The audio comes from a sermon series called Gospel Trifecta, looking at the DNA of Sacred City Church, gospel, community, and mission. Or in other words, we're talking about the gospel message, the kind of people it creates, and how the gospel advances in our city and far beyond. We really hope that you would think about joining us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Otherwise, you can find us on Facebook and on YouTube for our live stream each Sunday. For more information, you can visit scmoline.com. the word of the Lord from Acts 2:42 to 47, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We uh, we are in a short sermon series right now, um, week two of a three-week series called Gospel Trifecta. Um, we are revisiting the DNA of Sacred City Church. It's plastered on our walls, gospel, community, mission, these three things. You know, you lose one of them, you lose the distinctiveness of Sacred City Church. But this isn't just the DNA for Sacred City Church, this is actually the DNA for the early church that we see in Acts chapter two. So this is an idea, this gospel community mission stuff isn't this sleek, fancy new idea that we came up with. We've actually robbed it, we've taken it straight from the book of Acts and looking here, uh, the last this, this week and, and last week and the next week, looking at the DNA of the early church of this gospel community mission. And so we've been looking here at Acts twenty-two, Acts chapter two. Um, and, and just so you're not you know, jumping in out of nowhere with us here, what's happening is the resurrected Jesus, who, who you know, we're gonna celebrate tomorrow, you know, next week, we're gonna s- celebrate that. Um, the resurrected Jesus is with his disciples. He's explaining to, to them how he has fulfilled all of the promises of God. He, he's fulfilled this rescue plan to save people from sin and death and from the powers of evil. And, and this, this rescue mission has been accomplished. On the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. God raised him from the dead, and shortly after Jesus is explaining this to his disciples, he's going to ascend into heaven, take his seat at the right hand of the Father, and then he sends the Holy Spirit, who is promised to his disciples, to fill them with power and to help them carry out the mission that Jesus began in his ministry. Now, what we saw last week at the beginning of chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus pours out the Spirit upon his disciples. They're prophesying, and and this is crazy, where they're speaking in tongues, they're speaking in languages, that before that moment, they didn't speak before. And people from all over the region, from different cultures, different tribes, different um, countries, people who speak different languages are, happen to be together here at Jerusalem for this festival that's being celebrated. And as the spirit comes and fills God's people, it creates this commotion. Like, like it's something that spills out, it's not just a, like a loud house party, it spills out into the streets as people are prophesying and declaring of the mighty works of God. And what happens is they draw a big crowd to themselves. People are like, what is going on? What's gotten into these people? They actually think they're drunk, right? It's like, no, they're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. So they clear that up. And so what Peter does then to explain what's happening, he gets up and he starts preaching the first ever gospel sermon. Now, I'll tell you from experience here as being a preacher, I've only been preaching for like five years or something like that, but I can tell you right now, I do not want you to hear my first sermon I've ever preached. I just straight up, let's bury that. Let's hide that from the internet. Nobody needs to hear this. But here we have Peter's first, very first sermon out here, and we're still looking at it 2,000 years later. And, and to be honest with you, it, it's not a great sermon to, like from, from a mechanical perspective. It's not super eloquent. It's not like flashy or, or anything like this. But let me tell you what, it's powerful It's powerful. The spirit comes upon Peter, and he testifies to what God has been doing, and Peter proclaims this Jesus that was crucified not too long ago, within the last couple months, who's now been made alive, he says this Jesus is both Lord and Christ, and in that moment, in that cultural climate among the Jews, this would have carried a deep significance as far as the rescuer, this Messiah, this king that God had promised his people to deliver them out of the affliction of sin. Now, what happens when Peter preaches this gospel it's not just like people hear it say, like, oh yeah, that's kind of a cool idea, I like that, I can get on board. No, no, it says they're cut to the heart. Like this message is so powerful that it gets to, the, I get to walk around, guys, I get to walk around now. <laughs> I used to be in like a little cage and now I get to, anyway, it says it cuts to the heart, all right? It like gets to the core of their being, it divides them into, it reads their mail this gospel message finds them out and they ask this question, what do we do now? So it's not just a new piece of information that, oh yeah, that's a helpful tidbit of information to have. They say, okay, this is life-changing. What am I supposed to do with this message of of the gospel now? And Peter tells them, listen, you need to trust in Jesus, turn in him, repent from your sin, turn away from your sin, and turn to Jesus, cling to him, trust in him for salvation, and be baptized as a that as a signal, as a sign of this new life that's begun in Christ, right? Jesus talks about when, when Nicodemus comes to him and says, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? He says, oh, you must be born again. Well, this, this, this baptism points to the spiritual rebirth of the people that God calls to himself. And now Jesus says, hey, you get baptized and I will give you the Holy Spirit. So what the disciples just had there, and there's about 120 people, 120 disciples or so that were following Jesus all the way up to the crucifixion, and Jesus ascends, leaves them behind, and they've all got the Holy Spirit, and now they're saying, hey, the same Holy Spirit that's invaded us, that's given us the ability to prophesy and speak in tongues, is available for you too. This power, right, the power that raised Christ from the dead now is spiritually alive in you. And the people say, Alright, we're in. Sounds good. Let's do this. And so that day, that day alone, Peter preaches that sermon. Before Peter preached the sermon, there were about 120 Christians on the face of the earth. At the end of that sermon, there are about 3,120 Christians on the face of the earth. Like literally, like 25 times the amount of Christians after one sermon. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the kind of revival that would just happen here? Holy smokes, I, I covet that but you see this, this fast um, revival take place. You see this, this explosive growth that happens right at the beginning of the church, and the question is, after these people say, okay, now what must we do after, you know, I've put my trust in Jesus, I've, I've been baptized, I've received the Holy Spirit, the question is, what do I do now? Right? What, what, what happens from this point on? Is it just, you know, I, I got that little Jesus piece, I've punched my ticket to heaven, and I get to go back into life as I was doing it before? Or, or do things change a little bit? The question is where does life go from here if the gospel, the message of the gospel, actually grips our hearts? Now what we see here in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 is that it is impossible to go back to life as it was before. It's impossible to to treat Jesus like this little add-on piece of your life isn't the real kind of Christianity that we see here in the early church. Jesus completely reorients people's lives. See, Christianity doesn't mean like you're just now busy on Sunday mornings. Like you gotta go to church and you do that thing and then every part of your life stays the same. Right now, what, what it shows us is everything changes for these new converts. In fact, one of, one of the things that gets busted here, because our, our mentality is, okay, I'm a Christian now and now I gotta go to church. What, what actually this shows is that these converts don't actually go to church Think about it, there's no churches to go to. You can go down the street of Moline here and throw a rock and you'll probably hit a church. There's all kinds of churches you could go to. But here, the first century, there are no churches to go to. Now, we'll see here, they, they go to the temple but they're not going there to actually like worship and do the Jewish stuff. They're, they're there to, as missionaries to proclaim about all these prophecies that the Old Testament talks about is fulfilled in Jesus. So they're going to the temple, but it's for mission. Instead, what we see, rather than going to church, these Christians are the church. They have become a people of God, saved by God for God's purposes. Jesus forms a community around himself. In fact, anywhere the gospel is preached, and received, a community will be formed there. And this new community we call the church. Now, the church, the word church, it comes from um, the Greek word ekklesia, which means body, okay? This idea that there's individual people that get brought together as one corporate entity, right? You've got many, many members on your body, but it's one body. And here we're seeing the people of God, not just individuals, but a family, a community being brought together. And right here we see it. There's this smooth transition that happens going from verse 41 to 42 where the gospel gets preached, people get saved, and without a hiccup, a church is formed. Community is established. Now, we have to realize that this is, while it's a new community, it's not just a new community. Like, I could go home, I could start a Facebook group of people that like, you know, cat memes or something. I could go start a new community in that regard, something new, something fresh. I could start an optimist club. I could do something like that. But, But this kind of community, this community that we see here in Acts chapter two isn't that kind of community. It's an entirely new kind of community. It's a new caliber, a new type of community. Let me tell you what kind of community this is. This is an eschatological community. That's a big word. That's a $5 word. An eschatological community. Let me explain what that means. Now, the message of the gospel is that God saves people from God's wrath. That that on the cross, Jesus takes upon himself the judgment for our sins, for anybody who trusts in him. So for the Christian, that means judgment day, the end times, like that's happened on the cross already. Now, what Jesus has done for us has opened up heaven for us. The kingdom of God is at hand. So this means, as the gospel saves people from God's wrath, it opens up this this heaven for us, the kingdom of heaven. It means that eternity actually reaches backward into this present moment and shapes our life now. So the future reality of what is to come reaches back to this present moment and shapes our life now. And what happens is we see people intertwined together. So not only are we delivered from sin, the penalty of sin, one day the presence of sin will be eliminated, we're we're not just delivered from sin but we're delivered into God's community, the kingdom of heaven among God's people. What the gospel does is it thoroughly and and eternally intertwines all who believe in Jesus which is one of the reasons why if you read the New Testament, you see over and over again this language of brother and sister, right? There's familial language being used because what's happened is by Jesus' work on the cross, we've been adopted. We call God our Father now. And it's not just my Father, it's our Father. The Lord's Prayer is our Father who art in heaven. And so I've got these brothers and sisters who have been brought into the family of God with me. God's heavenly family now has boots on the ground on this earth right here and right now. And the purpose of this family is to demonstrate to the watching world what God is like. Or in other words, the gospel message saves us from sin, but it also carries implications about how our lives work right now. Now this kind of community is much more than just a building, right? The church is more than a building. It's more than a social group. It's a people that God calls to himself. So we're called to God. In fact, we see that here. Um, earlier, then save yourselves from this, this uh, crooked generation. Those who received his word were baptized and they were added at number 3,000. That's way back there. God's calling people to himself. Actually, here's what I meant to say. Um, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God is calling to himself. Okay, so God calls people to himself, but he also calls us to one another through the gospel. That we have this new family. And what we're gonna do today is move on to the second piece. We talked about the gospel message last week. Now we're talking about the gospel community, right? Gospel people, the type of people the gospel creates. And I wanna take us here to Acts chapter 2, verses 42, uh, chapter two forty two through 47. Let me read this again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're gonna take a look at this community and and break down a couple of the major traits. Honestly, we could do a whole sermon series in just this passage alone, but I just wanna break down the traits, the major traits of this community. And the first trait that I wanna look at is that they are a devoted community. We see this in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, primarily, their devotion is to Jesus. Like, this is a Jesus community. People who have been brought into community, into fellowship with God and one another because of the work of Jesus. And so we see how they have devoted themselves to Jesus by devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles were people who walked with Jesus for those three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, following him around, listening to his teachings, watching how Jesus lived his life, all of his life, doing what the Father told him to do perfectly. And so the apostles had eyes on Jesus at all times, and so they would teach all of these new Christians what Jesus was all about, what he was like, what his teachings were. And the people just craved this. They, they, they ate it up. This, Jesus, it was something new, something fresh, something that they had never, ever heard before. In fact, we just got done preaching through the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago. And this was revolutionary. The, the message that Jesus had for his disciples about the kingdom of heaven and who could get in on it. And so they're devouring the, 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 uh, the teaching of the apostles, but they're also devoted to the prayers. We see that. A prayer... Prayer is our ability to commune with Jesus, right? Our relationship with Jesus as Christians is not a transactional relationship. Like, okay, you get me into heaven, and I'll do this, this, and this for you. It's, it's a relationship. And the way that we engage in relationship with Jesus, the, one of the major ways is through prayer. And people can't get enough of Jesus between his teachings, the prayer. They just want to align their lives to Jesus in every manner they study his teaching. They want to know more about God's grace, about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so they're devoted to Jesus. Now, they have encountered the givenness of life. All right, we we see this, this language that's used frequently, they, they received they received the gospel. They received with glad and generous hearts. There's a givenness to the way of life that the gospel opens up for us because grace shows us that we didn't earn anything, that God in his mercy and his kindness gave us what we don't deserve. And so there's this, her eyes are open to see all of the givenness of life and they have this. They see it in the daily graces. They see it in their salvation and it trickles down throughout all of life. In fact, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, he asked this question, what do you have that hasn't been given to you? And for the Christians who are sitting here on this side of their conversion, they say, listen, everything's been given to me. It's all grace. Everything is a gift from God. And so we see here they, in verse 46, as they receive food with glad and generous hearts, they, they praise God. There's this sort of overflow of God. We see what you've done for us. Jesus, we see what you've done for us in your grace. We just want to give it back to you in praise. And so we see among this group of of Christians, there is an overall awareness of the realness of Jesus. And they are fully devoted, they're all in. All of the chips have been pushed across the table say all in. It's a radical way to live. Now, you can think of it this way, like to live for Jesus doesn't mean that Jesus is just like a piece of the pie, right? you know, if you were to win the lottery and you got a pie chart of what you do with the money, he's not the give to charity slice, okay? Jesus is the whole kit and caboodle. It's a whole pie. That, that's what it looks like, and this is, what the, or this is what the disciples are. Jesus is everything to me. Now, if you understand the gospel, if you understand the message of what Jesus has done for us, I don't know how you could do anything but live a fully life devoted to Jesus, Because here we see God putting on flesh, stepping into daily life among the brokenness of this world. He was in relationships that were messy and hard. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was ridiculed and mocked, people despised him. And Jesus lived this life, though he was God, he was treated like the dirt of the earth and he lived this perfect life, completely devoted to God in every, every, every way, Always resisting temptation in every capacity, perfect obedience to the Father. And, and really, what that should have done for Jesus is open up to him the life of blessing, right? That he just gets to ride in the kingdom of heaven on a, on a white steed and, you know, it's all peaches and cream from there. But, but that's not what happened. Jesus was crucified. He goes to the cross and dies for guilty sinners. Like, even the people, like the, some of the people that Peter was talking to here, were responsible for Jesus' death. They were the voices crying, Crucify him. And Jesus here literally goes to hell and back for sinners like you and me. And if Jesus does this for us, how could we not help but give our lives? If Jesus is willing to die for me, how could I not live for him? And so we see this community just like 100% bought in on Jesus, fully devoted. But they're not just devoted to Jesus, they're devoted to one another. Verse 44 says that all who believed were together. 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They have this vital connection to one another. They're eating together, they're praying together, they're fellowshipping together. Now part of what made this community so unique was how diverse of a group it was. Like, if we go back into the beginning part of chapter two, it talks about all of the different different kinds of people that were there, different ethnicities, different cultures, different languages represented. And in the first century, they were very tribalistic, right? There was a lot of ego wrapped up in who you were, what your cultural identity was. And and it's us versus them, right? There there wasn't like uh, like this commonality. It, It was just like very much tribalistic, very independent, very patriotic, cultural pride, disdain for people who aren't like you. But here we see, now that kind of sounds familiar, right? And here we see people from every demographic, every culture, every tongue coming together Jews and Gentiles alike being unified by the gospel. So here in this community, we have this this wide array of diversity, a bunch of differences, yet the gospel is able, the gospel is powerful enough to hold them all together. Now, our tendency, just like the first century, it, it leans into tribalism. Our tendency is to hang out with people who look like me, who talk like me, who think like me. It's easy to get along with people like that most of the time. Unless you're too much like me, then we're going to you know, clash heads. But. but here's the deal. If the gospel captures your heart, if you understand that you've been brought together by the work of Jesus, that power, that, that force is so strong that it overcomes all of these cultural barriers that are set out in front of us. The gospel will broaden your circle of people, so there's a good chance that you're gonna have people in your missional community that you wouldn't be interacting with on a weekly basis unless it were for Jesus. Like there's gonna be people that you, like in your MC that you have nothing in common with them except for you live in the same city and Jesus, and they could easily become some of your best friends. See, the gospel has the ability to tear down these dividing walls of hostility, whether it's political, cultural, economic, social, economic, because the gospel roots our ultimate identity in Jesus, that we all are brought into the family together, and there's no top tier, bottom tier. There's no stepchildren in the kingdom of heaven. There's no stepchildren in God's family. We've been bought by the blood of Christ, and so we've got shared bloodlines here. It's, it's an unlikely family of grace. Now if you get that, if you understand the power of the gospel and what it does to overcome, you're going to have a diverse and unified community. And it's a testimony of just the power, right? The, the, the unifying power of God's grace, but we have to see here, they're, they're not just tolerating each other because it's one thing to tolerate. Like we can coexist in this space like but, but that's not at all the picture that this scripture presents to us. It's not mere tolerance here. They're, they're actually enjoying, there's a true affinity here between all of these people who are coming from different places in life. Not only are they spending time together, but they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're giving sacrificially to one another. Verse 45 tells us this. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So there was not this preferential stuff like, oh, I like you, so I'm going to help you out a little bit here. No, no, any who had need, they were like, okay, you're one of us now. We want to step into this need with you. This is a radical spin on generosity here. They're sharing their stuff, they're selling things. It's not just like, hey, I've got a couple extra dollars. It's like, no, I'm actually gonna go to the pawn shop here, I'm gonna sell this, and I'm gonna take this money and I'm gonna give it to you. Like, that's kinda crazy. They're meeting people's physical needs. And so we see this isn't just some sort of spiritual community that says, oh yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll pray for you, and that's where it ends. It's this community that's deeply invested. It's like, hey, we'll do whatever it takes to help you out. We want to love you well. And so this community, we see them seeking out ways to tangibly bless and care for one another. Now, while we see them spending time and using their resources to sort of curate this kind of community, there's a whole nother layer to this a whole next level to this kind of devotion because this isn't just like one-off events. Like th- This isn't like an isolated event that happens. Okay, this is the, the one Sunday of a year where we're gonna help somebody. In, like this, It says here, day by day. This is a, a rhythm, a daily rhythm. They're living life together, life on life. They're, they're sharing life together in such a way where their lives are rearranged rearran- around one another that there's this communal mindset. And what this shows us is that, like, you can't do community like this and maintain superficial relationships. Because you'll either get burned out, like, your investment in this will be like, okay, I can do this for maybe, like, four months, and then it's like, I'm out of here. But, but what this shows us is that they had this meaningful connection, this deep buy-in to maintain this level, this intensity of community. And it's not just sharing their stuff, guys. They're sharing their hearts, their lives, everything that's going on. They're like, hey, I'm an open book. And the reason that they're like this, the reason why they're bringing their whole hearts, their whole selves to this emotional and spiritual relational aspects because they realize Christianity is not a me and Jesus thing. The Western church has hijacked this. Like individualism has been so you know, forced down to like every fiber of our being that it's just like I can be an an autonomous self. I can just, me and Jesus, I can get through. I can, you know, put it up on my own shoulder and do my own thing. But that's not at all the case. What we see here, these people have a communal mindset that it's not me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus' people and Jesus. It's this reality that God put these people in my life for my benefit, and God put me in their life for theirs. That God is actually using his people to form and shape his people. Like this, this sort of community, it's not just that God forms a community, it's a formative community. That as we go side by side together and our eyes are locked on Jesus, that we're discipling one another, we're sharing our lives, we're like, hey, hey brother, let me help you. Let me show you what, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Like, there's this sort of formative thing that's happening in the church. Yet, most churches get emptied out of, of this formative, this really like, high relational church thing and kind of settle for just showing up, going through the motions. When, when, when we get exposed to a community like this that's a little bit invasive, it's inconvenient, that it, it calls me to something that's a little bit more than what I think I can, it's like what happens is we tend to cut and run. It just gets to be too much. And we can't help it, like our, the product of my flesh is to do this. So I kind of keep to myself Say, hey, you know, I don't really need your input. I can, you know, I, I got it from here. Like, arrogance and pride, it's just like, that, that's all what musters up. So when, when people are starting to speak into your life, it's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, 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 I get it. I don't need you. That's what our flesh tends to do. It pulls us away from community, but God has designed us in such a way where we need community. We're relational creatures. And so God, in his grace, gives us a family, a new family, that helps us restore, to, to reimagine who we are through the gospel, like how to make sense of our lives because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, this kind of community that we see here in, in verses 42 through 47 can only exist if there is a power to maintain it, because our flesh is just working against it. You can try to do this in your own power, like try to maintain this sort of really cool community, you'll get frustrated, you'll get burnt out, you'll get exhausted, because it's so challenging, which is why Jesus gives his people the Holy Spirit. The power that's inside of us draws us towards one another. So it's the Jesus in me that loves the Jesus in you. That it overrides our desires, our sinful tendencies to cut and run, our individualism, and it compels us to live with the love of Jesus that's, that's being exchanged between the whole community. That's, that's the only way that this kind of community can happen, if that, that open flow of Jesus' love is at work. Now, I, I, a couple months, well, a couple years ago at this point, I, I was taking a seminary class and we were studying this passage um, and there was discussion that was going on about like, you know, is this kind of community still possible? Like, do we still see this Acts two forty two type stuff going on in the church today? And I had a, I had a professor that I was like, yeah, totally it is. Come, come to Sacred City. You'll check it out. Like, it's going, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not, you know, it's kind of rough around the edges, but God's doing this here. And he's like, no, it can't be that. Like, this is kind of extinct. This only happened in the first century. But that couldn't be more wrong. God is still creating this kind of gospel communities. He's calling people to himself and to one another. And, and he's doing it here in secrecy. And honestly, one of the greatest privileges of my life is to be part of this kind of community. I remember being in college, and I had a great college community, but I just remember reading the scriptures, or rem- coming to these passages here, and being like, man, I wanna be part of a community like that. And for me to be here, to be doing it with you folks, such a privilege, and one of my favorite things, and as, as imperfect as we do this at sacred city, like there's an honest attempt to to, to live into this. my favorite thing is that when we 're sitting down in our missional communities and we 're talking uh, about this passage, it comes up often ta- in our in our curriculums, and you you have somebody who's kind of new in the room with you and, and we're talking about this passage, we ask a diagnostic question. Hey, how are we doing at this? Are we, are, are we living into this as God's people who are called together? And it's always the new people that are like, totally, I see, like this describes what your missional community, like just the little bit of that I've experienced. So I see this and I think it's so crazy that God was be so gracious to us where, where people are sharing their lives. I see this time in and time out. We've been doing this, if you've been with us here four and a half years, like Davenport, 10 years almost. People sharing life together, not just spending time together, but sharing life, our hearts, our relationships, our emotions. carrying life's crushing burdens together. Like, I just remember one, I don't know how many like miscarriages or really like things that have happened within communities that we can just sit with our community and be like, grieve with those who grieve, mourn with those who mourn. That, that, those people don't have to go at it alone. Right? The, the crushing burdens of death in the family, going through a, a, a hard marriage or going through parenting struggles or going through a season of unemployment, all of these things that would be so hard to manage on your own. God graciously provides a family, a church family to do this with. And on the other side of that, I've got to be part of some of the most joyful celebrations of my life to see births. See people being baptized, seeing like besetting sins overcome, like people putting their sin that they thought, hey, there's never going to be a day in my life where I don't struggle with this in a crushing way, where like there's actually victory over sin, where prayers get answered, where relationships are met. We get to see all of this stuff, sharing our life together, the, the crushing burdens and the joyful celebrations. And it happens in the nitty-gritty, like when our life is lived together communally in, in the daily, day in and day out, even, even when we're struggling, to have that community to come to and say, guys, I, I just, I'm having a hard time. I can, I'm wavering right now in my faith. Would you, would you pray for me? Would you come around? It's like we get to see God doing this within this community. And, and the stuff about meeting one another's needs, Right? We've seen this over and over and over again. People receiving with glad and generous hearts and giving back. Like every missional community has a story of how we've stepped into a major need. Whether it's helping people move from one house to another, doing projects around the house, vehicle repairs, watching kids so he can take a date night. It's like people are meeting tangible needs and God is doing this because he's bringing a family together. Helping each other, you know, providing jobs, teaching each other life skills, right? Stuff that we need to live a successful life. And God's provided all of these resources here right within our our community. But here's the thing. It's like, not only is this stuff happening, but it's, guys, it's a ton of fun. Like it's hard, yeah, okay. There's seasons, it's hard. But overall, it is so exhilarating to be part of this. There's something so attractive about this kind of community. In fact, it says here, it says that that people had found favor with all the people, right? These Christians, as they're living glad and generous lives, they're living together, sharing lives, they're finding favor. So that means people are looking from the outside and saying, hey, there's something different about these Christian people. I'm not exactly sure about everything they believe in. You know, maybe we'll cross that road someday. But there's something about the way that they live their lives that just seems really appealing to me. The way they look after each other the way they bear each other's burdens, the way they celebrate, right? There's just a lot. Of, they, they found favor with all people, and it's an inviting thing. And in fact, it says here at the end, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it's not just like God has, you know, set his, drawn his line around the people that he saved. He keeps inviting people into the family. And when you're part of a community like this, guys, I'm telling you what, it is exhilarating. I, th- I would say that when, my mission, when any missional community is at their best, there's not a single human being in the Quad Cities who would not want to be part of one of our missional communities. Guys, we have a ton of fun. We share life together. It's like my MC. It's like, on one given night, we get joking around about something stupid that we saw on the internet, and the next minute, we're grieving with somebody, or grieving about something that's really hard at wrestling through, and then we're just, at the end of it, we're getting pushed back to Jesus and being reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. It's such a refreshing thing to know you got people in your corner, and listen, the only reason that this kind of community exists is because Jesus brings us together. The only reason this kind of community exists is because Jesus, who belonged, he's a son of God, was pushed out of God's family. On the cross, God turned his face from him so that we could be brought in, right? When he went to the cross, he paid for our sins so that God would have open arms toward us to receive us. It's because of Jesus' radical devotion to us that we now live radically devoted lives to him and to his people. He redeems us, he adopts us, he places us within his family to thrive, and this is what happens in the church. See, it's not just a building, it's not just something that happens once a week. It's the people of God brought together by the gospel. Now as we come to the Lord's table today, this, this meal reminds us of what Jesus did to bring us into the family of God, what he did to, to make us reconcile to God, to our Heavenly Father, to have a relationship, a vertical relationship with God, but, but also a relationship that spills over horizontally, to look to my left, to look, look to my right and see my brothers and sisters in Christ, those people that God has called to himself, to us together. And so we come to this meal to get together to remember what Jesus has done, but we come as a family. This is a family meal. Disciples here, they break bread together, and that's what we're doing. His body was broken, his blood was shed. Father God, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us, God, in redeeming us from sin, death, and the grave. Thank you. That you have restored us. You, you, you've given us a, a new vision for our life. You've given us a core identity in Christ that cannot be shaken. So as your people, would you knit us together? Would your love be a, a distinct marker on your people that we would love one another and, f- and be fully devoted to you, Jesus? We ask that by this meal, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would strengthen us to live in such a way that you'd help us put our flesh to death so that we could live into this communal life. And that would be attractive. There would be something that's so desirous that as the culture looks in, as our city looks in at what's going on in our mission communities, that they want to be a part of it and know that the arms of Jesus are open to them. God, help us to live in this way for our good and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.